Hi everyone, Mark Dicker here, Crime Practice Manager out at Blacktown. Uh, today I'm joined in this podcast by a colleague. Um, hi everyone, my name is Samaya Alawi. I am a Grade 1-3 solicitor, also out of Blacktown, but I am in the Family Litigation Unit. Great, welcome Samaya. Thank you. Um, today we're here basically to talk to you about family and domestic violence and how that impacts the way we assist legal aid clients who come to criminal lawyers as defendants in ADVO matters um, only. Uh, so not where there is an, accompany, uh, uh, an accompanying charge, um, just only where there is a, an ADVO that's been brought against them, for example, from the police. And why is it that we're doing this podcast Predominantly, it's because uh, we're here at Legal Aid to assist disadvantaged clients, and one category of disadvantaged clients that we have at Legal Aid are victims of family and domestic violence. Our current crime policy does allow us to represent and advocate for clients whom identify with family and domestic violence. That's quite clear uh, for all the duty lawyers out there. You would know on the on the front of a green duty form. Question nine is, are you experiencing a risk of family violence? Uh, that's a great first point of call for duty lawyers. If they tick yes, it's obviously an avenue that needs exploring. It's not just a box that needs ticking. Um, so we're here basically to try and educate uh, every lawyer about how we can identify these type of clients the right way so that we can interpret the policy the right way to ensure that these this category of legal aid client appropriately receive grants of legal aid where they're entitled to it. I think that's um, a really good summary of what we're going to be doing here today, Mark. Uh, but just for everyone listening, so what we're going to go into today for you guys is uh, we are going to have a look at the policy at legal aid about funding matters involving um, defendants on ADVO matters. We're also going to look at the legal definitions of family and domestic violence across the criminal law legislation and the family law legislation and how these two things meet because even though we are lawyers from two separate divisions, the reality is we do meet each other in a lot of things. Like I personally speaking always you know, knock on Mark's door, come in and say, hey, I need to ask you about this and vice versa, you know. Mark will come to me and tell me, you know, I've got this case, what do you think of it? So I think that's really useful and we're here to um, tell you guys what the techniques are to identify victims of domestic violence, family and domestic violence, not just domestic violence. And then we're going to look at a few case studies that we've, we've come across and some success, success stories that we've had where we've been able to assist victims of domestic violence who are listed as defendants on ADVOs. Yeah, it's actually quite um, funny how that it's, it, that's the whole reason. Those discussions we had was the whole reason we came up with the idea <laughs> of doing a podcast because um, it, it's, it's, everything's a little bit differently depending on which office you've been at. I mean, for example, I've worked in head office where you don't have a family lawyer sitting across the hall from you. Yeah. You won't ever converse with anyone from family law if you're in an office where there's no solicitors from that division in the office. Off the top of my head, I know head offices like that, Parramatta's like that because family law's separate in their own office. Yep. 
So there's no real um, crossover between the two of us. But once I was with family lawyers around me, I, I could educate myself a little bit more and, and learn a little bit more. So then I started realizing, oh, wow, I've been interpreting the policy a little bit wrong. Yeah, I think the number of times that we've said to each other, oh, is that how it works? You yeah. know, has, has been probably way too many. So... We're here to kind of decrease the number of times you ask someone, oh, is that how this thing works? Um, and hopefully we can shed light on this very serious and very real issue that a lot of our clients do have as part of their day-to-day lives. That's right. Unfortunately. Cool. Um, so the first thing we're going to look into is the legal aid policy and the legislative definitions of domestic and family violence. Alright, so as much as I love hearing myself talking, I'm going to be talking for most of this section, Um, so I'm sorry if the sound of my voice sounds as painful to you guys as it does to me. (laughs) It's actually funny, so I was actually, the other day I was reading an article about the sound of your voice, I don't know if other lawyers have this, where you're talking in court and you get sick of hearing the sound of your voice, that thought you have about your voice is actually only your own judgment of yourself <laughs> and it's, it's never the actual case that there's something wrong with your voice I think something's more wrong <laughs> with what you're thinking about your voice so I think it's all good it's all good yeah. just keep talking and everyone just listen and <laughs> learn and we'll be good that's a nice rule but doesn't mean I'm going to start <laughs> singing for you guys because I know that that's not going to go very well <laughs> and you'll probably find that just as bad as I find that <laughs> all right so back to back to topic, guys. Um, so looking at techniques to identify victims of family and domestic violence. Now, this is no easy feat because we just spent the last 10 minutes telling you guys how broad the definition of family and domestic violence is. Yeah, But it also places a, a more responsibility on, on us as lawyers to identify these issues because sometimes... When a person's presenting to us, they're not going to appear to be a victim. They might be angry, they might be defensive, or they might just come out and say, "You know what? Yeah, I did do that." Like, and and I I don't I don't you know feel bad for doing that. So mm-hmm. you're looking at this person who's you know getting all worked up, and you're like, "How is this person a victim of domestic violence?" Yeah. So what I want to talk to you guys about is things that I do when I'm sitting on advice clinics speaking to family law clients and you know just some questions that you can ask or things to look out for when you are in your advice sessions Um, but before we go into that the first thing the first technique and tip that I would give everyone listening to this is communication between your colleagues you know, yep. Mark was saying before that you know he's he's worked at head office and there there isn't a family lawyer there readily available or across the office from him um, for him to just go and bounce off these things. But let's not forget, guys, we all work for the same organisation. We our goals and our core values are all the same, and that is to help clients. So if that means you run a staff directory on a family law solicitor who, you know, happens to be available on Cisco Jabba or on Teams, don't hesitate to pick up the phone and say, hey, I'm from this office, you know, I just had something that I just want to bounce off you. Because if someone ever called me, um, and, you know, I'm I'm, I'm now opening myself up to this, but (laughs) if I get a call from a criminal solicitor who says, hey, look, 
this is someone that I have on advice, what do you think? I am more than happy to, you know, speak to you guys about it and tell you what I think and whether this person is someone who I'd identify as a, a victim of family and domestic violence. So if someone from Chrome was to call someone from family, what unit do they search for? So um, the first thing you need to do is obviously get the... Um, the consent of the client to say, look, I want to speak to someone from another unit to see, uh, are you okay for me to discuss your matter? Yeah. yeah? Um, and there's the whole family litigation unit. So all of our family litigation solicitors are trained to recognise family and domestic violence, but we also have a domestic violence unit. Yeah. So they're solicitors who operate primarily on a duty basis. Yep. They work out of um, Liverpool Local Court, Fairfield Local Court, Burwood Local Court, Parramatta Family Court and the Sydney Family Court and they service they service those courts so they come across defendants of ADVOs all the time. So they, they were probably the best point of contact? Sure. Um, they, they would be the best point of contact but that is the nature of their work so whether they're always available to take a call like if they're in court stuck in duty or yeah. you know in a matter they might not be readily available yeah. but any family law solicitor will know what I'm talking about here because like we said before it's listed in the legislation so yeah. any solicitor who's had proper training and is worth their bread and butter yeah. would know this is what the family um, law act is about family violence yeah yeah okay. um, so back to what I was saying before about clients sometimes presenting as you know not being victims of domestic violence like you're not going to get every client come into your coming to your advice clinic crying and saying oh but you don't know what's happened you know or presenting to be in a, a, a frightened state or a weak state or anything like that so yes yeah. those are good things to look for but they're not always going to be there yeah. right the first thing and the most important thing to do is read the grounds of the application for the ADVO yep. yeah read what it says um, a really helpful thing to look out for is if there is a line that police have written which says due to conflicting versions of events no charges have been laid get into that because generally the victim and the perpetrator have both been interviewed by police and told police two different things police can't figure out which one is the more truthful one at that point yeah. in time nor do they need to because with an AVO it is on the balance of probabilities yeah. so they've said, okay, well, the most appropriate action to take at this point is just an ADVO. Yeah. Further investigation will either lead to the ADVO being dropped or charges being laid. Yeah, okay. So if that sentence is written somewhere in the grounds of application, get onto that. Yeah. Tell the client, okay, so I've seen that police here have written this. What did you tell police when they spoke to you? Yeah. You know, and ask the client simply what happened. Can you talk me through what happened on this day? Yeah. You know? Yeah. If if there's information which suggests that, you know, if it's something like the client has either slapped or pushed or someone, just say, okay, so why did you do that? You know, don't ask leading questions like, were you attacked? Just give them a chance to explain why their behaviour was what they did at that point yeah. in time. Yeah? Um, so those are two really useful ways to kind of use what information you have there in front of you um, to say, okay, maybe this person is a primary victim of family and domestic violence. So use it as an identifier to possibly explore further. Yes. Yeah. Um, Mark, you referred before to the duty 
sheet that the clients need to fill yep. out, there is a question which says, are you at risk of or a victim of domestic and family violence? If that box is ticked yes, you better be asking, why have you ticked yes to this? Yes, what is right. it that you, what, how do you consider yourself to be a victim? Yeah. That, like, you know, the information is there for you. It's at your hand in a really, very simple yes or no kind of a way. Um, it does get a bit tricky when the client ticks no, because the reality is some people don't know that they're victims of um, family and domestic violence because they haven't been beaten up or, you know, they're not exposed to physical violence or they're not exposed to verbal violence or, you know, so it could be their kind of situation. So or they simply don't want to disclose it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. That's very true. Um, so a way to kind of get that information out, and I appreciate that there is limited time that you guys have, especially when this matters in court. Yeah. Um, but something you can do is ask the client, tell me briefly about your relationship with your husband or with your wife. Yeah. You know, they or can partner or, or whatever. Yeah, partner, yeah, 100%. So ask them to just give you a bit of background information. How long have you guys been together? Has anything like this happened before? Is this the first time police have been called to your house? You know, those questions, depending on your answer, can give you really good follow-up points to say. Like if someone says, oh, yeah, police have come before, but they've never done anything, say, okay, well, tell me what happened when police were called. Who called the police? Yeah. You know, have you ever told anyone about this? Does a neighbour know what's going on? Yeah. So use that grounds of application and use the duty sheet that you have to kind of flesh out these very... Um, valuable things that the client can tell you to help you identify whether they are a primary victim or not. Yeah. Now, uh, it, it, from, a, from a crime perspective, it's, it's often the case that um, when, when this has happened, you, you're seeing your client and then a potential other client who's the partner on the same day with another AVO. It's like a cross-AVO application. Yep. Um, where they're trying to, I guess get ABOs on, the police are trying to get ABOs on oh. both of them for protection. Yeah. And that's where I think it's important that we, we don't look at them as defendants anymore. We have to try and identify which person is the actual victim. 100%. It's hard from a criminal perspective because we're designed to just simply identify a defendant and a defence rather than identifying a victim and then assistance. Yeah. So I think for these type of matters is where we really have to change our train of thought and our practice um, to really identify which client is the more vulnerable one that needs the assistance that's right you know because unfortunately you know we've all heard of systems abuse people use ADVOs people use family law proceedings as a way to continue to perpetrate this kind of family violence you know yeah. if, a, if, a, if someone's getting out an ADVO on their partner you know more often than not we go to court in the family court and they say oh I have an ADVO like I read a, you know, one of my matters that I was reading the other day. Um, the guy turns up to the emergency room at 12 o'clock in the morning with a 1.5 centimetre scratch and then goes to police and demands that his ex-wife gets charged with assault. Like, you know, like, yeah. it, it's these kinds of things that you just need to look out for and say, okay, who is it that we need to assist here? Which one is the vulnerable client? Yeah. And again... If you're ever having trouble trying to figure it out, give us a call. Call a family law lawyer. Great. Get the permission from the client and call the family law lawyer. Yes. Now, does family law require us to get that uh, authority in writing? 
if it's enough for us to say, if you shoot us an email and say, I've gotten the client's consent, you know, it, it can be discussed in broad or vaguer terms. Like, you don't have to give us the names and those things, but if you just spell out the situation to us, we're happy for, you know, for us to have a chat, an impromptu chat over the phone. Great. If you want more assistance, like if it is that you think the client, if there's kids involved or anything like that and you want to make a referral, um, we'd probably just need to confirm that that consent is given before we get any of the documents, like the ADVO or anything like that. Great. Cool? Thanks for that, Samaya. So it's good to know that there are easy techniques that as criminal lawyers we can adapt to use in our duty service without taking up too much of our time as often we know in duty service uh, where you're at the local court for example you don't have the time to really sit there and go in depth about someone's life or something matter you're, you're trying to identify an issue real quick here sure in these type of matters what we're trying to do is identify the issue of are they a primary victim yep or are they a victim of domestic family violence or can we help them further? 100%. Do they need our help further than just a duty appearance or an advice session? Yeah, because often an advice session might just be throwing a, a bunch load of information at them about the consequences of an ADVO, yep. uh, but not really letting them understand the long-term effects of, of that. And that's the whole purpose of, I guess, this podcast, is to try and get a little bit of insight as to what can happen afterwards after they leave the advice room and, and, and where, where, where can they go from there? Like, what, What's something positive that we can do at that point by identifying it the right way? Yeah. And, and we've got here at Blacktown some success stories about how we've collaborated uh, between our clients, referring them over to you and getting a great result after we identified that there was issues. Yeah, and vice versa as well, you know. Like I've, you know, sitting on the advice clinic at Family Law I get clients who come in with ADVOs and they are listed as defendants on ADVOs but once I've done the advice session I realise okay maybe they do need assistance and you know um, we had a client a few months ago who had a pretty serious AVO out against her um, but it also had the child listed as a protected person from her and she was prevented from being in the house so yes. it was she was placed in a really desperate situation where she was essentially homeless living with relatives off a spare couch I think that they had she didn't even have um, housing she didn't speak English you know didn't wasn't working so had no had no access to money but police had taken out an AVO for protection of her husband and her child so her main thing when she came to us was I want to see my son he he's not safe with his father I know he's not safe this is what's happened so, yeah. um, you know, and uh, as you know, I, I came in, <laughs> knocked on your door and I told you, hey, look, I think this is someone that crime needs to assist beyond just giving her advice on the ADVO. And um, once I made that referral, I, I'm not too sure what happened behind the scenes. Maybe you can let me know. But what assistance were we able to provide her with once that was done? Well, once that was done, we were able to, once you had identified to me that, she was in fact the primary victim in this relationship, it became quite easy because then I went back and I applied the policy as we've already explained to everyone. Yep. Um, they're simply a defendant in an ADVO only matter and they're satisfying the legal aid tests, uh, predominantly that they're a victim of domestic family violence. Yep. And 
once that occurs, it becomes, it falls underneath the criminal division umbrella. Whilst there's no criminal charge, and it may seem like it's a family law matter at that point, it's actually something that falls under our criminal division policy. So we were able to give her a grant of aid, yep. as we would any other, you know, grant of aid that we would give someone when there's a charge. Yep. We would open up a matter, would open up a casework. When you're going through um, Atlas, you, you're able to tick that this is an AVO application only. You're going to put your reasons down why you believe that this person falls within the guidelines and the policy of legal aid. And that's where we're saying interpret things broadly. Um, if, if, if you are satisfied, why are you satisfied? Yep. Put it there. Leave it to grants. If grants are going to say no, you've got your appeal there if you need it. But if you're listing why, as an in-house lawyer, they're eligible for legal aid, yep. uh, it's, it's the exact same process as you would for any other matter in crime, especially local court uh, grant files. Yeah, so I think the fact that this woman was able to get a grant of aid and have the continuity of the uh, solicitor representing her in that matter was a really great outcome for her because otherwise, you know, if she's turning up on duty each time she's got a matter in court and it's a different legal aid lawyer looking at her file each time without knowing the background information, there's limited assistance that can be provided to her. But, you know, the fact that she got a grant of aid is awesome because it means that she can now get proper representation to challenge the AVO or even change the, the conditions on the AVO, you know, um, to, more, to maybe more appropriate conditions or, you know, something that she's able to then deal with if she needs to go to family law as well and get into that jurisdiction. Well, it's actually important as well. What we don't often realise as in-house lawyers is on an ADVO application where you're not consenting to the AVO, timetables are made up. Yep. Now, everyone will know that when you, you often sit there and you may appear amicus in the matter where a client doesn't really know what's going on and you're getting the timetable, you're writing down dates. It's important if you're able to identify that they are eligible for legal aid under the policy because they are a victim of domestic family violence, that the matter gets assigned as soon as possible so that they have time to prepare their statements yep. in response to grounds, in response to what's being offered against them or, or put to them. Yeah they can put forward their um, application or their response, their evidence, have everything nice and easy for them because they're obviously, if we've identified them as being primary victims, they've been through a lot. And at this point, this may have been a tipping point where they're actually quite fragile. Yeah, and the last thing they need is to try to figure out how to navigate all this by themselves when here's our policy which tells us, hey, we actually help these people. You know, so our, our policy is pretty good in that it, it recognises that there are these people who need assistance, but I think there's just the link that we need to make is how do we implement this policy to most benefit our most deserving clients. And that's where we said at the start, where we're trying to identify a class of client who are at a special disadvantage. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I... Uh, I can't remember if it was you or it was the other crime manager who was here at Blacktown, but we had a situation where it was the other way around. So she came to the crime clinic um, as a, um, a defendant on an ADVO only. And what had happened in that situation was that the father of their three-year-old child that they had together um, kept withholding the child. 
the mother wasn't prevented from seeing the child under the ADVO but was prevented from seeing the father. So the father was basically calling the mother on regular intervals to say, hey, you can come take her. And when she'd turn up, little did she know that the police were just waiting there for her to breach her on an ADVO. So she ended up getting charged criminally, but it started off as an ADVO matter only. So um, I think it was Derek at the time, he was the crime manager. He, they made a referral to our family law section and told us, look, this client needs advice. You know, she's, she's got a three-year-old child. This is what keeps on happening to her. We need help. I was able to um, advocate for her. I, we ended up having to file court proceedings because of the behaviour from the father and we got final consent orders made. So dad ended up agreeing to consent orders for the child to come back and live with my client and spend time with him on a regular basis. So, you know, as, as horrible as this is, there are people who use ADVOs to their, to their advantage, to disadvantage their partner or their ex-partner as a way of getting revenge, whether it's for leaving the relationship or whatever's happened. Yeah. So it's important that, you know, we make sure that the client's rights are, you know, followed through and advocated for so we can get them an outcome positive for them and for their kids if there's kids involved. Yeah. So, you know, that was a that was another excellent example where a crime solicitor who just, you know, happened to speak and make that referral got a really great outcome for for the client. And it's these people that we don't want falling through the cracks. A hundred percent. Just because we're not collaborating good enough. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Like, everyone just remember, we all work for the same place, you know. Yeah. The big man upstairs, he's still the same, you know, Brendan Thomas is the, you know, at the top of this umbrella and we all, you know, work under this legal aid umbrella, so utilise these resources that are available there to you. That's right. So, um, ultimately what we want you to get out of this is a bit of awareness on how broad domestic family violence is. Yep. And um, basically educate ourselves as crime lawyers about how we can recognise the signs of domestic family violence. Um, like we've said multiple times during this podcast, it's, we're often don't have the time at duty service to perhaps properly uh, dedicate our energy to these matters which on the face of it don't seem as important as matters that are before the court where there are criminal charges attached to it. Yep. So one way Samaya and I were thinking is if, if, if they've ticked yes on the box, on the duty form, or you're, you've read the grounds and there's um, in the grounds they're saying, I think you were saying there's a convicting version of events. Yep. That it may be one of those situations where you need to perhaps adjourn the matter and have them come to an advice clinic about this particular ADVO. Yeah. Uh, set up a telephone clinic, a telephone appointment. Instead of giving them five minutes or ten minutes, give them half an hour. Yeah. Pay some attention. It's not going to be a complete waste of time where you've sort of made that quick assessment that there is real potential here that this person is a primary victim. I, I, I totally agree. And like, this isn't to say, like you were saying, you know, stop and spend an hour with each client on duty. Like, we all know that's not that's not how things operate, you know. You can go to court, sometimes you'll have 10 matters of your own and then, you know, 30 matters on duty. So you don't, yeah, and, you know, you're walking around and, like, you just, you don't have the time to sit there and do these things. But 
these those two those two tips that we just gave you look at the answer to the question about dv and um look at whether the just a quick scan of the grounds you know it's the same line it's always at the bottom of every grounds of yeah. application for an advo that i've read if the police are saying there's a conflicting version of events tell that client look okay you need to come back for advice because although i don't have the time today this might be something that we need to explore with you yeah you know, and because you don't want that client just consenting to an AVO on a final basis there and then, yeah. without properly understanding or identifying if they are someone who needs our help, rather than someone who's just put their names on an ADVO that might not have been made final against them, or maybe in a lesser lesser conditions against them, had they been given that time and attention. And the ultimate outcome is going to be if if it is an ADVO that's been taken out, where someone's trying to, I guess, exert power, the, the, the ultimate outcome is going to be breaches. Like yeah. you were saying about the other client. Yeah. And we, need, we need to prevent that. Yeah. And, you know, if, if, if you're getting someone who possibly identified as a victim of um, DFV on an ADVO only, but then months later comes back on a charge of breach, you know, you've got to wonder, did we really help this client if they've been put in a situation where they're now facing criminal charges? Yeah. So, just a couple of extra minutes for each client can prove to be really valuable. Yeah. And it's also good to know what resources are available at your court. Um, you may have WDVCAS. You would probably know if you've got the DVU there. Um, and there's FAS, I think you were telling me about. Yeah, so Family and um, Support Services, uh, Family Advocacy and Support Service, um, they run out of Parramatta Family Law Courts and Sydney Family Law Courts. Yep. So... Even though there's no DVU solicitors at the Downing um, Centre or at the Parramatta Crime Courts, if you make a referral and send the client across the road to the Family Law Courts or on, um, on Castlereagh and Goldburn Street is the one in the city, yep. they can get advice and they can get, if you feel that they need further assistance, they can get further assistance from the solicitors there. Um, and again, the resource of knowing that your colleagues, you have colleagues in family law litigation, if you meet someone at you know uh, some sort of legal aid function, take note of their name if they're from another division because you never know when that that information is going to help you. That's right. It's not often you call someone in legal aid and they say I don't want to talk to you. A hundred percent, you know, and because at and the end of the day, da- <laughs> calling Mark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> There's a sign on <laughs> Mark's door which says I have an open door policy unless it's Samaya. <laughs> um. Yeah, so you know, never, never feel hesitant to call a to call a colleague because, you know, we're all here. We all have this common goal of helping people who most need our help. Yeah. Um, all right, and we're also going to be doing a little uh, tip sheet for you, which will have links to the useful resources that we've found, um, legislation, policies that we've touched upon. Yeah. So stuff that we've discussed today, you know, um, if you have that document and have a look at it while you're listening to this podcast or after you're listening, if you feel like something stuck out particularly to you, um, that's going to be available to you guys as well. Yeah. And then, and then lastly, something else that's come up between us during making this podcast was we've actually thought that there is um, a, a quite, I guess, specific topic that we want to talk about, which is the conditions of ADVOs. Um, when they first come before a court, yeah, um, and the I guess the consequences of just consenting to to AVOs off the bat. Yeah, and I 
I'm assuming by consequences you also mean like what consequences it has if there's family law proceedings on foot as exactly well. Exactly right. So That's exactly what we're talking about. You know, when you get family law courts orders and ADVO orders, what is technically the relationship between the two? So hopefully, um, you know, we can do another another series on this and get into that topic because that also needs to be given the time that it deserves. Yep, agreed. Well, Samaya. Thanks, Thank Mark. Thank you very much for it's your knowledge. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> Hopefully everyone around the Criminal Law Division listens to this. Maybe we can get the uh, Family Law Division to listen to this. They may be able to roll their eyes at us a couple of times. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, no, it's been good. It's a great podcast. Hopefully you all enjoyed it. If you need um, a bit more information or anything, contact us at Blacktown. Yeah. Samaya and Mark. Yeah. Shoot um, us an email. Give us a call. Happy to assist where you need. If you're doing an application and you don't know what you're doing, perhaps in Atlas, give us a bell, shoot an email. Always happy to help colleagues around the organisation. And I guess um, collaborate. For sure. Great. See you, everyone. Bye.